the name of Jesus. There's no one as great as our God. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, if you would. Chapter 7, as we're doing that, our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. The Gospel of John chapter 7, and we will begin reading in verse 14. All right. <clears throat> when you got to say so. And it says, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? People answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we honor you, Lord God, because your truth remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We thank you for your word that changes us, that illuminates us, Lord God, that gives us the right to be in your presence, that gives us the understanding of what your will is for our lives. And Lord, I just pray that in these next few moments that you would use me to speak under your people, Lord God, I pray that you would increase, that I would decrease. I pray that you would be glorified. And above everything else, Lord God, I pray that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be faithful doers of your word. Give us this faith to respond to you, Lord God, as you call us to obedience and trust in you, God. We thank you for this, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So we are continuing in our series. If you don't have, do, do we have handouts? Handouts, yeah? If you don't have a handout, raise your hand really quickly. I'm sorry. If you don't have one, keep it up so that way you can get one. As always, the reason why we want to use these, these handouts is so that way you can take notes. You can follow along in the beginning of the sermon. Keep your hand up so that make sure you get one. So that way you can um, take notes. There's some questions in there for you to answer. And also, typically throughout the year from September to May, we meet for our Connect Life groups, which are our small groups where we get together and we discuss the sermons. But during the summertime, we don't meet every week. But what we do want you to do and what I've been challenging you to do since the beginning of the summer is to utilize these outlines in order to have conversations with people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family members, use them for family devotional times, or even for those who don't necessarily know Jesus and you just want to have a conversation with them, this is a good platform to, for you to utilize because you get some notes, get some information to have some conversation there. And so we are continuing in our series, The Real Jesus. And today I'm going to talk to you a message entitled Judge Rightly. 
And looking at this whole portion of text that we're looking at, I think that that verse 24 stands, stood out to me as being this big idea that is within, this, within all of these scriptures here that we're going to deal with this morning. And is that we judge not according to appearance, but that we judge with righteous judgment. Now, if you look at your outline here, you can see in the midst of our cultural shift and battle for moral purity, we cannot go too far without hearing Jesus quoted as saying, do not judge. Have y'all heard that? Right? That, that's like the new, that, that, listen, if nobody knows anything the Bible says, they know the Bible says, do not judge, right? They may never pick up a Bible, they may never look at it, but they're going to quote your Bible to you and say, well, Jesus said not to judge, which I, I agree, Jesus did say not to judge, but here's the thing that I want you to realize. We find here Jesus not condemning judging, but calling for righteous judgment or for us to judge rightly. And see, here's the thing, is that for us that know the Bible, it is important for us to say, yes, Jesus did say not to judge. He did communicate that. There's no question there. But he was not talking about not making judgment. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying is don't judge the way everyone else does. Don't judge based on appearance. Don't judge the way that you want to judge. Make righteous judgment. And how is it that we do that? Well, we look at the scriptures. We look at what the Word of God says. See, here's the problem is that many times we want to judge people based on tradition not scripture, right? This is important for us. I said this last week as I was talking and, and, and I, was, I was preaching last week. And I, and I said that, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we bust on those old school, you know, whatever, you know, the real, the real um, for you Hispanics, you know, the rajatablas. You know what I'm saying? I don't, even, I don't know how to say that in English. I don't even know how that translates. But anyway, like the hardcore, the legalist, the legalist, right? The, the just the, it sounds better in Spanish, rajatabla, like, you know, legalist, you know. But just the, the legalist, right? Like I say, like the legalist, right? That, that'll help it out. But, you know, just, just those who are, you know, bound in legalism. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I said last week was that for those that come from that background, the one thing that I can appreciate about those people that were legalists is that they were doing so in the name of the Lord and they were trying to please God, right? I mean, we got to give them credit because nowadays we're like the opposite extreme. Like we want to do everything to just rebel and show I'm free. Listen, we are free, not free to sin. Right? Like, like I said, the, the Bible talks about, you know, sin meaning to miss the mark, right? And so we should be shooting for the middle of the bullseye, not seeing how far we can get to the edge while we're still on the target. Are you here? That's how a lot of us are. Like, we're okay, well, how far can I get away from the center? No, that means that, that, that's the problem with us, right? So the issue is, right, it's not that they, 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 they had, if they felt that that was their conviction, that was okay. Here was the problem. The problem was when you walked into a church with a goatee, and all of a sudden, the message became about you. And suddenly, you were going to hell, or you walked into church with earrings on, or you walked into church, you know, with a sleeve. You know, I'm not talking about a shirt sleeve either. Hello. Right? Right? You was all tatted up, and you walked into the church, and suddenly, they began to condemn you like you were going to hell. You know what the problem with that is, is that you were judging based on appearance, you weren't judging based on what God sees. You weren't judging based on what the scriptures see. See, because the scriptures are clear for everybody. Say everybody. And so when God is saying, when Jesus is saying not to judge, see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were judging what? Based on their traditions, right? They were judging, saying, well, you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. And so Jesus gets into this conversation with them and he begins to show them what the real meaning or the real heart behind making judgment calls is. And here's the bottom line. Everybody can say don't judge, but every day we make judgment calls, don't we? Some, 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 some matter more than others, but they are judgment calls nonetheless. The, the, here's the thing, though. The greatest judgment calls we make are those regarding our faith and our practice of it. 
The greatest judge, am I going to obey what the scripture says in this given situation? Am I going to do what, what pleases God because I know that this, see, those are the judgment calls that matter the most. Am I going to serve the way that God has called me to serve? Am I going to love the way that God has called me to love? Am I going to stand firm the way God tells me to stand firm? See, those things matter. And what was happening to them is that they were making the wrong judgment calls. They were judging Jesus as not being the Messiah, as not being the awaited one, and Instead, they missed him, and so we'll see that. And so remember, the purpose of this series, this is your last paragraph here in your outline, the purpose of this series is to continue to build our faith in Jesus as the Christ, right? These things are written so what? That we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name, right? And so that's our memory verse for those of you that aren't sure, um, John 20, 31. And so what we understand here is that the scriptures, the purpose of this whole series is to do what? It's the same thing that is the purpose of the gospel of John. It is to build our faith in who Jesus is. It is to build our faith in him as the Messiah, the one that, the only one that can save, as the Son of God or God in the flesh, that we may have, have the life promised to us in the word of God. Understand this, though. This promised life all hinges upon our judgment of what the word of God declares. See, if I, if I take the word of God and say, I, I don't know if this is, this is all true. I, I, I don't know if every single thing in here applies to me. I don't know if I should take this literally, right? I should take this like, you know, allegorically, you know, metaphorically or something like that. But, but if I take it that way, then the promises that are in here, they're not going to apply to me. I'm not going to see those promises being fulfilled. But when I respond by faith to what Jesus communicates, then I'm going to see what Jesus wills for me to have, the life that he desires for me to have. And remember, he is not solely talking about eternal life after you breathe your last breath, but eternal life is what? It is knowing the Father. We'll look at that a little bit more when we look at Jesus' prayer around John chapter 17. But what we understand is that eternal life doesn't begin that day, that, that, that moment after you breathe your last breath. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus. That life is what we're supposed to be experiencing here and now. And so big idea, I try to give you one sentence of what the whole message should be about, and it is this. You can write this down. I say it as slow as I can or as many times as I can, one of the two, or I do it together. But we cannot expect to live righteously if we are not judging rightly. Let me say that again. We cannot expect to live righteously if we are not judging rightly. One more time. We cannot expect to live righteously if we are not judging rightly. If I'm, if I'm not judging rightly, if I'm not judging these scriptures, the things we'll look at today rightly, I can't expect to live righteously. I can't just say, hey, well, you know, I'm going to be holy, but I'm not going to judge things the way that God says. We have to look at things from the perspective that God gives us. And so the first thing that we have here, say this with me, say we must judge Jesus' teaching rightly. We must judge Jesus' teachings rightly. And so what we found here in these, first, in, in these first few verses that we looked at is that the Jewish leaders, they start out in verse 14. Look at it with me. It says here, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And so remember, when we looked at it last week, Jesus wasn't going up to the temple. Something changed and shifted and he decided that he was going up to this feast. He goes up to the feast and about the middle of the feast, Jesus gets up and he starts to teach. And so as he starts to teach, the scripture says here in verse 15, and it says, and the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? And so what they understood is that Jesus had never studied in one of their approved rabbinical schools, right? He had never gone to that, you know, that, that accredited Bible college. Hello, somebody. 
He had never been there. And so they were listening to him teach, and they were amazed. How does this guy teach having not been taught? How does he teach having not learned in our schools? He doesn't have the seal of approval of the rabbis. Hello. He doesn't have the seal of approval of the Pharisees, and, and we know that they, they, there's an issue, but, 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 but his teaching, there was something about it. And so what happens is the Jewish leaders marveled at Jesus' ability to teach precisely and clearly without formal training in one of the rabbi schools. Jesus makes it even clearer that his doctrine, look what he says, Jesus says, Jesus answers, and he says this in verse 16. He says, my doctrine is not mine. Doctrine is the word for teaching. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, and you need to like mark verse 17, because th th this verse is so very important for our lives. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. And so what Jesus does, he makes it sure, he makes it clear that his teaching, his doctrine is not his own. And we must be sure that we don't minimize Jesus' teaching, but that we see it as the very words of God. Very important for us. We live in a day where many people will say, yeah, well, they believe in Jesus. He did walk this earth, but he was just a good teacher. He was someone who taught some good lessons. He, he's someone who, who taught us some stuff that's good, like optional stuff. No, Jesus never taught anything that was optional. Hello. Jesus' words, those, those red letters in there, I told you all before, if you have the right Bible, it's got red letters. Hello. Right? And so Jesus' words are not options for us. Like, hey, you know, pick and choose which ones you want to obey. No. He gives us commands. He communicates what his will is. He makes it clear to us, and he lets us know those things. And so we cannot minimize. Whenever we are hearing Jesus speak to our lives through the scriptures, whenever we're reading of what Jesus communicated, it is important for us to pay very close attention and to measure our lives based on what Jesus communicates because God calls us into obedience based on what Jesus is commanding us, right? So we want to be those that are obeying him. Now, what we find here is this, is that it is only, now understand this, it is only, what the reason why I said verse 17, is so important. It is only when we have rightly judged the teaching of Jesus that we will value his teaching and will to, to, his, to do his will. Let me say that again. It is only when we have rightly judged the teachings of Jesus that we will value his teaching and will to do his will. See, here's the thing. The result of a willing heart is God opening his word to us and pouring out his grace upon us to enable us to obey his teaching. See, what happens is here, Jesus says this. He makes, he makes it clear to us. He says, if anyone wills to do his will. That's so important for us. If anyone wills to do his will. How many of you want to do the will of Jesus? How many of you, I mean, I mean, seriously, like thinking about this, like I don't know about you, but I know as I was growing up, I mean, I've, I've come to know not every single thing that is in God's will for me. But as I was growing up as a young person, when I first got saved, I told you guys, I knew that God had not given me that gift of continence. In other words, he wasn't calling me to be single. Hello, somebody. I, I knew that from jump, and I didn't even ask him. If he was, I was going to rebel. I'm just kidding. But... Nonetheless, I knew this. So immediately, I'm telling you right now, when I say immediately, I mean I got saved like Friday, Sunday. I was, all right, God, where's my wife? I need the right one because I need to know and that we can move forward in this plan. Amen, somebody. So that was my heart, right? I began to pray. But here's what I began to pray. I began to pray his will. Right? I begin to pray because these are, these are life-altering situations. Right, So for all you young people that are in here that are not married yet, I encourage you, don't just look at who's cute. Listen, don't, I, I love my mother-in-law. Can we give God a hand to praise my mother-in-law is here today? She's been, 
she, she's, been out, she's been out of commission, glory to God, but thank you, Lord, she's back with us. Praise the Lord Jesus. Um, my mother-in-law, I, I, I love this. My, my testimony to me is special. My mother-in-law, I used to sit in the front of the church. In our church, the way that our church was, our youth used to sit like right over here in this corner, and then everybody else used to sit over here. And so I used to be like around where Ricky was sitting, somewhere like that. And I was, I, I mean, I, listen, I got radically saved. And so when I sing, you're like, when I lift my voice, like I'm not, I don't care what you think. I care about what God thinks because I know what God did for me. I mean, straight up, I mean, really. I want to sound okay because I'm on a mic. But nonetheless, when, I, when I'm down here, right, like, I don't care. Like, I just want to lift up praise to Jesus because, man, I know how lost I was, right? And so I was, I was there, and I was, I would just, I was all into God, hands lifted, worshiping. And and my my wife tells me this because obviously I didn't know this, but my mother-in-law is sitting in the back, and she looks at me. It's like, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope your your brother, you know, becomes like that. And I th- and I think and I thank God because God gave her a son right here, who was like that. And in the process, he blessed me with an amazing wife. Glory to God. But my point in bringing that up is looking for God's will. When you're looking for God's will, like for a companion, for a mate, I'm just throwing this in there as a side note. This is not my message. I'm just bringing, someone needs to hear this. But listen, like, like look for someone who's all into Jesus, right? Like don't look for someone who's sitting out texting during worship. Don't look for someone. As a matter of fact, don't look. make sure you're paying attention who gets on time to worship. Amen, somebody. I'm just saying. Like, like they're there because they want to be part. As a matter of fact, make, take it to another level. They need to be at the 10 o'clock prayer circle, glory to God. If they even got a chance to make it, like he or she has got to be all in this. Why? Because guess what? You're going to marry that person. And if that person is all into texting and they ain't worrying about worship and they're so worried about getting out of church, you know what you're going to have? A person who is worried about the wrong things and when things get tough in every marriage, it does. When things get difficult, guess what you don't have? A solid foundation in who Jesus is. And so when you're seeking God's will, like you're praying for his will, and even in all of that, I mean, that's not enough. I mean, I'm making jokes. I mean, I'm being kind of serious, but I'm making jokes like 10 o'clock prayer and worship all in like on his face and all that kind of stuff. My point is this, is that you need to, even all of that, you need to make sure, is this God's will? Is this the will of God? And so why do I say that? Because Jesus says something that is so paramount to our lives that we say, and I I ask the question, like, do we want to know God's will? Like, do I want to know God's will? Like when it comes to purchasing a home, for some of you that are looking at those things, purchasing a car, when you're looking at a place of employment, when you're considering a church to be part of, all of those things are important questions to ask. And you know what Jesus says? This is what Jesus says here in verse 17. Look at this. If anyone wills to do, say do. See, it's not enough just to want to know God's will. You have to want to do God's will. See, God wants to speak to you about his will, but he's not just saying, hey, I just want to let you know my will just in case you want to do it. No, he's looking for someone who says, God, I don't care what your will is. You want me to go to a third world country and preach this gospel for the rest of my life and never have that mansion I want and never have that big house that I want and never have that car that I want and never have that life that I want. He's looking for that person that says, God, I want to do your will. I want to do your will. But look, he doesn't leave it there. He says this. We'll continue on looking at verse 17. He says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know, say no, concerning his feelings. Is that what it said? He shall know concerning his intuition. He shall know concerning what? The doctrine. You want to know how to know God's will for your life? All jokes aside. You want to know God's will for your life? Get into God's teaching. 
Get into God's word for your life. You see, because, oh, well, Bishop, the Bible doesn't tell me what house to buy. That's okay. God will direct you when you're in his will, in his word. And you'll know that, that was not the one. Well, I'm going to be in major debt. Well, that's probably not the one. I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. Should I purchase that car? I, I don't know. I mean, just kind of think about it. We got Dave Ramsey going to come up here pretty soon, right? We're going to do, the, we're going to do it for some of y'all to help y'all learn God's will. Glory to God, right? Live like no one else. You can live like no one else. But here's the thing. If you want to know the will of God, first of all, you got to have the right disposition, which is my heart has to say, God, whatever you say, I'm going to obey. And know this, listen, and, and, and it's not that, I, I, I need you to get this. If God called you, like I just said a few moments ago, to that third world country, to not have that mansion, to not have that car, to not have that life that you wanted, I want you to know you're not going to be over there depressed like, oh my goodness. You understand what I'm saying? Because when you find yourself in the will of God, what happens is you experience such a level of satisfaction that all of the things that this world has to offer that you don't have, you know what you do have? You have his grace. You have his joy. You have his peace. You have his presence. You are in his will. And so we've got to be those people that judge the teaching of Jesus rightly so that way we will do what? We will open our hearts and the Spirit of God can work with us. See, Jesus' teaching, Jesus goes on, he continues to communicate, verse 18. He said, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. And so he's communicating, I'm not doing these things for my will, I'm doing these things for the will of the Father. In verse 19 he says, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law, why do you seek to kill? And so look what Jesus does. Jesus rebukes him and lets him know what every one of us needs to know right now. None of us, no matter how perfect we think we are, keep the law of Moses perfectly. Are you hearing me? That's why every one of us, that's why we talk about it every week. We talk about this gospel about all of us being sinners, all of us being born into sin, all of us falling short of the glory of God. Because of what? Because the scripture shows that no matter how perfect we think we are, there is still a greater level of perfection, and that is found in God alone. And so what do we do? We recognize that we fall short, and we depend on his grace. Amen? We depend on his grace. His grace doesn't mean we just continue to stay in sin and continue to live how we want to live. Grace means that we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is, becoming more like him. And you know what? Until the day that we cross this line of eternity, we'll never experience that perfection that we are going to experience in glory. And so here, Jesus, Jesus rebukes them, asks them why they're trying to kill him. Verse 20 shows us here, the people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Now, I want you to notice, you're going to notice something as we go through this. The first part is this. It says the Jews in verse, in, in verse 15. And when it's talking about the Jews, remember, this is a feast time, right? And so all of the Jews from all over the place were there. And so the first group of people that are talking or that Jesus is communicating with are the Jews in general. The second group of people is going to be a smaller group of people, and those are the local Jews. Those are the ones that are from Jerusalem, or, and those are the ones that know what's going on. And then the last group of people that we'll see that Jesus is speaking to is he's speaking to the actual religious leaders of the day. And so for the first part here, we have Jesus speaking to them. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And then Jesus goes on in verse 21. He blows their mind. He shows them. He says, he says to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. One work. He's talking about what? He said, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it came, not, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So he was talking about his Sabbath day healing that he did a couple of chapters ago. He said, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? And so Jesus is saying what? He's saying on the Sabbath, it's okay to do good things. 
He said, on the Sabbath day, it's okay to come worship. On the Sabbath day, it's okay to honor God. On the Sabbath day, it's okay to do good. It's okay to do those types of things. And so we continue on in verse 20, in, in verse 20, 25 here. And it says this. It says, now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, so notice, Jesus wasn't crazy. But now in Jerusalem, now some of them from Jerusalem, they're the group of people that know what's been going on through the time that Jesus is there. The estimated time, just so that way you kind of have a time frame, Jesus had about six months left before he was going to be crucified. So if he had six months left and Jesus' ministry was three, about three years long while he was here, while he was on the earth, so that would say what? That he had been ministering for about two and a half years at this point. And so two and a half years have gone by and we're only on chapter seven, but nonetheless, he has been ministering. And these people have seen what's been going on and they're, they're in there in the normal days and so these people know what's going on they're like aren't they see is this not him who they seek to kill because it was already made known that that's what they wanted to do verse 26 says but look he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him do the rulers know know, know indeed that this is truly the Christ however we know where this man is from but when the Christ comes no one will know where he is from then Jesus cried out I love that it says you need to underline that in your Bible Anytime you think about me being loud, I want you to realize Jesus cried out. Amen? Right here. I was reading. I was like, glory to God. I said, I know I got that from someone. I got that from Jesus. Anyway, so moving. Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. But I know him for I am from him and he sent me. Therefore, they sought to take him out, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed, look at this, the beauty of this. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must judge Jesus' origin rightly. We must judge Jesus' origin rightly. And so the first thing is we have to judge Jesus' teaching rightly. The second thing is we need to judge his origin rightly because when these people are here after confirming, right, that Jesus wasn't crazy, they confirm, these Jews that are more localized, they confirm that when Jesus said, why are you trying to kill me? He wasn't talking to the crowd. He was speaking to the religious leaders that were trying to kill him. And so after they, can, after they confirm that he's not crazy, they question if the religious leaders believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And then they demonstrate their ignorance of where Jesus is from. So what they do here is they're like, hey, you know, weren't they trying to kill this guy? And then they're like thinking, well, I don't know, do these people believe in him? But then they go on and they say, but we know where he's from. And therefore, you know, he can't be the Messiah. And, and here's the thing that they didn't, they didn't know. They, they knew him as who? Jesus of Nazareth, right? Isn't that how we know him, right? And so that's his hometown. That's where, but that's not where he was born, was it? No. Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in a place called Bethlehem. You know why he had to be born in Bethlehem? Because Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 prophesied that he would be born where? In Bethlehem. And so these people were lost. They were like, no, we don't even know. They didn't even know the prophecies. They, I mean, they would at least been better to say, hey, he's not from Bethlehem. But they didn't even say that. They're like, we don't know where he's supposed to come from. Well, the prophecies and the scriptures communicated that he was supposed to come from there. So the first thing is Jesus already fulfilled the prophecy of where he was going to be born in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And so... If he wasn't born there, he couldn't be the Messiah. But here's the other thing that we need to get, is that there's a greater issue at hand. If Jesus is only earthly, he can't be the Messiah, right? If he, was, if, he's only come, if he only has earthly lineage, earthly heritage, then he can't be the Messiah. 
But Jesus communicates, I'm not, listen, you, you, you know I've been communicating to you where I'm from. I've been communicating to you that I've come from the Father. And so Jesus is both earthly and divine. So if Jesus is prophetically proven because of the scriptures that pointed to where he was going to be born and then divinely proven by signs and wonders of his origin, then he is the Messiah and must be surrendered to. Now notice this. Again, I pointed this out earlier joking, but in all seriousness, Jesus cries out, rebuking the crowd for their lack of knowledge of God. Now notice this. They seem to be real pious. Think about where they were. They were at one of the biggest religious gatherings that the Jewish people knew of in, 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 their, in their Jewish calendar. Not the only one, but one of the biggest ones. And so they were all there showing their piety. They were all there showing how holy they were. They were all there showing how committed to God they were. And yet Jesus cries out and says, you both know me and you know where I'm from. He says, but you don't know. You don't know the Father. You don't know God. That's the problem. Problem. And see, the reason why this is so important for us is because when we think about this, I mean, you got to think about this for a moment. These people seem to be real smart. They seem to be real educated. And you know people that are like that. And listen, I'm sad to say this. You may be one of those people that you're real smart, you're real educated, and you seem to have it all together, and yet you don't know God. See, no matter how smart someone is, no matter how much religious education someone has, no matter how much background someone has in church or knowing of the Bible, that doesn't mean that they know God. Are you hearing me? Because you can know all of those things and not know God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to know you, but you can know all of that stuff and still not know him. And so these people had that thing that they, they thought that they knew God, and yet, yet, Jesus rebukes them and says that they didn't know him. But the beauty of it is that it doesn't end there, but God shows us two amazing pictures. One of them is that God's sovereignty is at work because what do the scriptures say? The scripture says they sought to take him, but no one touched him because his time was not yet. And then the second thing that is so beautiful is that in the midst of people doubting, in the midst of people not believing, Jesus has people that are doing what? They're believing. People who are coming to faith. See, church, that's the reason why we need to maintain our commitment to preaching the truth of this gospel. No matter what, there's going to be plenty of people that are going to hate. There's going to be plenty, plenty of people that don't want to hear it. But you know what? If we'll just be faithful, God will be faithful to do what? He'll be faithful to give growth. As Brother David said up here, he said, listen, what the Gideons do is they put their Bibles in the place where they, they, they put the Bibles out there. It's God's job to bring the growth from that. Isn't true? See, I don't, I, don't make people, I don't make people grow. I don't make people come to faith in Jesus. Listen, no matter how loud I am, hello, no matter how soft I speak, it doesn't matter how slow I speak or how fast I speak, it doesn't matter. None of those things matter. You know what matters is that God is working on their hearts because God is the one who brings life. God is the one who does this. And so we see here that God is at work even in the midst of all of that confusion. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must judge eternity rightly. Let's look at verse 32. <clears throat> it says, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? 
See, as a result of Jesus, of, of the people believing in Jesus and some of them, you know, proclaiming that publicly, the Jewish leaders sent officers to take him. Jesus stops them in their tracks. Hear me when I say this. He stops them in their tracks with his words, I shall be with you a little while longer. I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me and not find me. Why, why, why is this so important? Because these officers were coming, right? These officers of the temple, they were coming to take Jesus. And instead of Jesus fighting with them, Jesus says one thing that clicks inside of their head, and I would hope that it clicks inside of ours as well. He says, I will be with you a little while, only a little while longer am I going to be with you. Why is that important for us to remember? Because there are too many people today who do not believe what the Bible says about tomorrow not being promised. We must realize we are only given, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. We must realize we are only given a short period of time to make a decision of eternal consequence. We are only given a short period of time to make a decision of eternal consequence. You see, when you think about it, you know, I guess the average lifespan is what be like between like, you know, around 70, I guess. I don't know, whatever. It changes all the time. 70, 60, 80. I don't know. I'm not that smart. But anyway, here's the thing. Say you live 80 years. Is that a long time? Some of you are like, man, that's too long. Right? I have my great-grandmother. I think my great-grandmother is like 95 years old. Every time I go see her, she's always like, I'm like, Grandma, how you doing? She's like, well, I'm still here. She's like, I don't know why God still has me here, but he has me here. I'm like, Grandma, I don't know either, but he's got you here for a purpose. The point is, I want you to compare. I, I, I love this analogy. I, I don't remember where I read it somewhere. But it said if you took a guy that was like four feet tall and stood him next to a guy that was like eight feet tall, right, you would see a huge difference in height, right? <clears throat> But if you stood them both next to the Empire State Building, it would make no difference. You wouldn't even notice. If you were looking at the comparison of height, you would, they, they would disappear in what? In, in light of how big the Empire State Building is, right? And so here's the thing for us. It's the same thing in our lives. You live 60 years. You live 120 years. It doesn't matter. Compare that to eternity. It's nothing. It's a short period of time. The Bible says it's like a mist, right? It's like a mist. It's like, shh, you know, like a spray, right? I mean, like if you just, and not like an aerosol spray, like shh. It's like just a psh. In comparison to eternity, and we have a little while, we have a little bit of time. And people think, listen, when I was younger, I remember thinking it too. You know, I, I tell everyone all the time that I love football. You know, for those of you guys that are playing football today, I'm sorry I can't join you. But anyway, here's the thing. I, I love football. I actually stopped going to church because of football. Seriously. When I, I was like 12, 13 years old, nobody that's that age stopped going to church, all right? You keep going to church, glory to God. But I was like, our church services started at like 11, 30, 12 o'clock, and so by the time I got home, football was over. I was like, Grandma, I'm sorry. I need to stay home. You go to church, I'm going to go ahead and stay home with football. And the point was that I didn't realize that I could have died at any moment. I don't say this to bring fear to your heart. I, I say this for a reality check. Because, see, many of us, you know, we've been hearing things for a long time. Like, some of us have been in church for a while. Jesus is coming. And we're like, oh, no, he ain't coming. We've been hearing that for years. For those of you that are older than me, you've been hearing it, and your grandparents were hearing it. And so it's been, they've been saying, listen, you know how long Jesus has been coming? I'm going to tell you something. Jesus has been coming for like 2,000 years. The moment that he left and he ascended, he's been on his way back. It's just getting closer and closer, and no one knows the day or the hour. But trust me, the Bible talks about it. He's, it, it talks about something like a thief in the night. Hello. 
right? Because what? Because people are sleeping like, oh, well, you know, he's never coming. You know what? We think the same junk. I'm telling you right now. We think the same thing about our own lives, the same exact stuff. Oh, well, you could die tomorrow, but you're like, man, I've been hearing that forever. And I go out, I still haven't got hit by that car. That thing still hasn't happened to me. And listen, the reality is the Bible makes it clear. Tomorrow is promised to no man. It is promised to no one. And so when Jesus says, I'll be with you for a short while, you need to see it as, look, you're only here for a short while. And once you breathe your last breath, it is your last breath. I know some people lied to you and told you, you know, you might have heard some stuff like you get another opportunity at the gate. You get another chance to rectify stuff. I don't know where they got that from because that is not in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? Let me tell you what the Bible says plain and clearly. It is appointed unto man once to die and then you go to the gates and get another opportunity. No. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So it's like this. <sighs> judgment. There's no, there, there, there's no like, you know, hey, go to jail and hang out there for a little bit. This ain't Monopoly. Right? I know some of you think that it's not like that. There's a reality. And listen, we need to think about that because we only have this short period of time to make this decision. See, sadly, like many today, the Jews were so blinded in their rebellion, they missed the call to repentance. Rather than responding in faith, they responded in reasoning. Many people will be sadly awakened to a reality of eternal suffering and separation from God in hell because they reasoned their way out of repentance. See, there are many people that are going to hear the gospel message, and they're going to say, you know what? I don't need to respond to that because it doesn't make sense completely. There's many people that are going to look at your Bible, and they're going to have questions about stuff. that You, you know, I, have conversation, I, had, I had a conversation with a young man the other day. He was asking me questions. Listen, I did not have the answer. I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not the Bible answer man. Hello. I don't have to know everything, but I know the one that saved me. That's for sure. Right? I don't, I, I don't expect anyone to have every single. Listen, if there's anyone that has every single answer, man, you're greater than most men that I know. Hello. And you're, 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 you're probably the fourth person in the Trinity. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, if you have no question, I, I mean, I, I know that don't make sense because Trinity's three. But nonetheless, you, you belong up there. I'm saying. Right? Like, you should be definitely part of the Trinity because you have no question. Like, oh, I got that answer. I got that one. I got that one, too. Listen, here's the thing. There has to be room for faith in anything that you believe. If you're a hardcore, full-on atheist, guess what? You have to have faith in that. You have to have some kind of faith to believe what you're going to believe. Everybody has to. And in the Bible, the Bible doesn't ask me to take leaps of faith. The Bible says to take steps of faith, to walk by faith. And so for those little things that I don't necessarily have answers to, I got a bunch of answers in here that are clear to me. Hello. See, that's what we need to understand is that we have these answers here in the scriptures, but there are plenty of people that are going to reason. They're going to look at this when we talk about the gospel and all men being sinful. They're going to be like, oh, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that everybody's born into sin. Okay, you don't believe what the Bible says. I don't believe that everybody's, you know, okay, well, we come to a point where we do bad things or whatever the case is. And someone reasons, well, that's not true. Well, you're, you're false, but nonetheless, you reason your way out of that. Oh, well, you know, I don't believe, you know, that, that, that all of us are going to hell. I don't care what you believe. That's what the Bible says. If you don't repent of your sin, that's what the scriptures teach, right? Well, there's no way. This is the one that hits home a lot. How could a good God, how could a loving God, Send anyone to hell. I don't know. How could a good, loving parent spank their child? How can a good, loving parent consequence their child for rebellion? See, here's the thing. There are plenty of people that are going to reason their way right out of heaven. And the sad part is that there, there is no opportunity to unreason. 
Once you die, it's done. The beauty of this gospel is this, is that Jesus died for all of us. Jesus died in our place so that we, we do not have to suffer apart from him for all of eternity, but so that way we can enjoy eternity, worshiping, glorifying, honoring, adoring, getting to know the magnitude of who God is. That's the beauty of what the gospel does. But not only that, is that God doesn't just want us to experience eternity once we breathe our last, but he wants us to experience a new identity. He wants us to know what it means to be new, that no matter what your past was, no matter what sins you're in now, no matter what sins you were committing, you are no longer those things if you come to the Savior in faith and repentance. That is the beauty of the gospel. He gives you a new identity. He gives you a new destiny. And now now you walk with him for, for eternity and glory, bringing honor and glory to who he is. That's the beauty of this gospel that we preach and that we cling to as our only hope. See, we must first live our lives with eternity in mind. See, we must judge Jesus' teaching right. We must judge uh, his, 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 his origin right. And we must judge eternity rightly, church. We must live our lives with eternity in mind. And secondly, we must be a voice like Jesus that is crying out. And listen, you, when I say crying out, it doesn't mean you got to get up with a bullhorn. Hello. It doesn't mean that. You may be soft-spoken, but listen, speak. Hello. Communicate the truth of God's word. Communicate the truth that is able to bring deliverance to lives. Because when we live with our lives in eternity as part of our motivation, then you know what we can do? We can, we can proclaim the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so listen, I'm closing with this question. Are you judging rightly? The title of the message is Judge Rightly. And so my question for you is, are you judging rightly? We talked about three things, and so I'll go over them. It is easy to judge Jesus' teaching as good advice, but have you judged it as God's commands? Are you judging that rightly? All of Jesus' teaching, not just some of them, not just the ones that sound good to you, all of them. It is easy to judge Jesus' origin as irrelevant to faith, but have you judged it as monumental to faith? Why is that monumental? Here's why. Because if you are serving the wrong Jesus, then guess what? You are, you are believing a false gospel. And if you are believing a false gospel according to the book of Galatians, then you are separated from God. That is scary to think. That I can think Jesus is cool and I can believe and, and I can listen to some of Jesus' teaching and I can still be separated from God. And so his origin is monumental. And you know what? It, it meant for some of you, you're like, I, you know, I don't really think about his origin, but you know what? There are other people that are thinking about his origin, and you should know what the scripture says to help them. And the third thing, it is easy to judge eternity as a faraway reality, but have you judged it as in any moment now reality that should be part of your motivation in this life? I'm part of a scripture chat with a bunch of guys. And one of the times, one of the, one of the, one of the teachers, uh, one, not the teachers, but one of the people that posts, you know, the different devotionals and scriptures in the chat, you know, he's talking about eternity. And some of the guys were in there, you know, and it's not to be condemning. They were just being honest. You know, that's what it's for. You know, they were saying, man, I, you know, I really don't think about eternity. You know, these are guys that are like, you know, 20, you know, in their 20s or whatever. And they're like, you know, I, re I really don't think about eternity because it seems so far away. And it's kind of like, you know, when I, when I remember having, getting my first job, you know, whenever you, get a, whenever you get a job, they give you the whole thing for retirement. And, like, I'm like, Psh, retirement? I'm, like, 18 years old. What do I need to retire? I'm not even thinking about retirement today, right? Now today I'm 30-whatever I am. And I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I wish I would have started putting money in retirement then. So for all you young people, don't be crazy. Listen to your bishop, all right? As soon as you get the opportunity, start putting money in there. Because later on you're going to be thanking Jesus that you did. Here, but, but the thing is, 
we don't think about eternity a lot of times. We're not thinking about it. We're living, we're living for today. We're living for the now. Eternity needs to be a great motivation in our hearts that we're thinking about this. And the bottom line is that what I'm asking you today about judging rightly is without grace, without the grace of God, we will never, ever judge rightly. God's grace opens our eyes and softens our hearts to make righteous judgments. It was by grace. And how do we experience grace? We experience grace by putting our faith in Jesus. And so, as always, there's two groups of people in the room. There's the one that has not put their faith in Jesus. If you're that person today, I call you to put your faith in Jesus. I call you to trust him today. I call you to submit your heart to him today. He's, call, he's given you the opportunity. And for those of us that are in this place and we're believers and we love Jesus, <clears throat> my prayer is that we will all grow in our righteous judgment. Amen? So I'll stand on our feet. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today. We're grateful today that you have given us your word that is truth. We are grateful today that you have shown us who you are. We are grateful today that you have done the great things that you are doing in our lives by your mercy, by your grace. And Father, today I just pray over my brothers and my sisters, Lord God. I pray that we would all judge rightly, Lord God, that we would judge your word rightly, that we would recognize your origin and that we would revel in the greatness of who our Savior is. And Lord God, that we would be able to realize, Heavenly Father, the reality of eternity, Lord God, that we would not see it as a faraway thing, but God, something that could happen at any moment. And for many people, it is starting right now, God. Before I finish this prayer, many people will have died. They will have breathed their last breath. Let us not take that lightly, my God. But let us realize that every relationship that we have is important. Let us realize, Lord God, that every encounter we have is important. Let us realize the divine appointments that we have had in our lives, Lord God. Today, we repent before you for judging wrongly, my God, for not being sensitive to your spirit, Lord God, for not recognizing your truths as truth, Lord God. Father, forgive us for our rebellion and our disobedience toward you and help us, Lord God, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are, Lord God. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for your will to be done, Lord God, in each and every one of our lives. And I just pray, Lord God, for anyone in this place that does not know you. Father, I pray that you would draw their heart to you today. I pray that you would give them a heart to repent of their sin. I pray that you would give them the recognition, Lord God, that you are a good, loving, and gracious God that came and died in their place and rose from the dead to give them victory over their sin, Lord God, and that they can trust you for life eternal that begins now, God. I pray you fill us with grace and power. In Jesus' great name, someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.